Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who like to use a lot of words yet say nothing at all. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, welcome to Wood Talk number 301 for March 28th, 2016. On today's show, we're talking about gaming table improvements, round bottom spoke shaves, ditching the miter saw, and clamp walls versus rolling clamp racks. All that more coming up, but first, let's thank a few folks who helped us out. Eric Nan, Mike Tuxin, and Brian Brazil. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for sending us donations. You can do so, too, if you want to. Go to woodtalkshow.com, look over in the right-hand column, and you'll see a couple of links for recurring donations or one-time donations in any amount. And that just kind of helps us keep the lights on here. And we will thank you at the beginning of the show. Just a nice little bonus to say we appreciate your support. Uh, so I think we should just get right into the show today. What's on the bench? I'll go first. I, again, I'm, I'm slacking. Just a total slacker lately. So there's really not a whole lot of woodworking. I, I will say this. This morning, there was something wrong with the antenna signal. We've got over the air antenna. And it's weird. After all this time, I've had it for a couple of years. Suddenly, the signals are starting to get really weak. So I have to replace the splitter. So I did have to go into the shop to grab a particular set of pliers that I needed to take the coaxial cables off the splitter. So I guess mm. that kind of counts as something related to woodworking. Sure. Um, you know, Because you were in the shop for two seconds? I went into the shop. I was in there for such a short amount of time, I left the key in the door because I was going to be right back to close it up again. So <laughs> that's where I'm at with this. Uh, See, I do that all the time. I forget to take the keys out of the door, and I wake up the next day, and I'm like, yeah. oh. That's the worst. The keys in the lock all night. Yeah, that's why I never actually do that because <laughs> I did like that. that. I did that last week. <laughs> yeah, I would do the same thing, and that that's not a good thing. I get very nervous about my shop being unlocked. Uh, but more related to woodworking, I will uh, mention that I did get my mortise and tenon magazine after we talked Ooh. about that last time. I was like, dang it, I finally got the order to work while we were recording. And uh, I did get my magazine with my plain shavings and the, <laughs> the packaging with the brown paper and a little note on the front. I'm like... You, you guys were just totally right about that. The whole thing is just uh, like artisan to, to the nth degree. Um, so well done. And I haven't read the entire thing. Uh, I have to be honest, I'm not so sure I'm going to love the content. And that's just because of my personal interests in woodworking. Right. Uh, if you go a little bit too historical, it tends, I, I, there are certain aspects of history I enjoy, you know, like US history and things like that, uh, humanities history. But there's something with the deep furniture history reproductions that it loses me a little bit. That's not to say that the content is bad, it's just not in my wheelhouse. Uh, but because it's so well done and the pictures are so good, I'm, I'm going to go through and read every single article and every word in it. Uh, plus, I paid a lot for it. so. <laughs> but I, I will continue to, to buy it because I think it's a, it's a great effort. It is really, really well done. Super well done. So uh, I'll have a- I think I think that's the way you have to go with like the digital revolution, too, because yeah. I'm you know, I've got a, a tablet filled with books as well. And mm-hmm. I've kind of gone that route. You know, I don't, I don't have DVDs anymore. They're all in clouds and things like that. But like, well, for instance, I got the, um, anarchist design book, um, yeah. the physical one. I've had it in my tablet for, I don't know, maybe a month or something like that. But the book, just like Mortis Intended Magazine is of such high quality. Yeah. And it smells good. Right. It's, you know, it smells like high quality book. The pages have that freshly like printed smell. You know, it's just to the point where when I pulled it out of the box, even my wife turned to me. She's like, wow, that's a pretty book. Yeah. You know, she's like, I don't know what's in it, but it's a pretty book. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where you have to go now. You know, if you're still going to have a print magazine or a book, 
it has to come with plane shavings. Uh, yeah, there's got to be that little something extra. So, I mean, they went over the top with it. They did a great job and I'm uh, very happy. So I'll report back once I read the whole thing. Um, but we just wanted to say I'm part of the club now. <laughs> you know, I'm in. So, uh, Matt, what's going on with you? Uh, not a whole lot in the shop this week. It was, you know, Easter Easter weekend. So we had all, you know, the whole family up for the weekend. All my, my parents, my in-laws live out of town. So we had them here for a few days. So... Whenever my dad's in town, we try to get away and do something, and uh, we'll get away like go like away from everybody else. <laughs> right. I mean, so we went out in the backyard and uh, slabbed up, up up a few logs, Sweet. with a chainsaw mill, a lot of fun. Got through a lot of small stuff. So I got some really small walnut and butternut slabs that just just hanging out, and we cut up some uh, pretty decent sized maple slabs as well. Nice. And I'm feeling that today, moving those things and stacking them. <laughs> Make you sore. Oh mm. yeah. Nice. Love yeah. me some butternut. Mm. Good this stuff. is some, some spalted butternut. Mm, sounds <laughs> this delicious. Is, this is the stuff people would just throw away because it's like half hollow. <laughs> it sounds nice. like an ice cream flavor, actually. <laughs> I'll have a two scoop of uh, spalted butternut, please. Oh, mm. yeah. <laughs> That's high in calories. I butternut. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> da Very nice. Well, that sounds good. Some father-son bonding time over wood. Oh, yes. Yes. Can't beat it. Nice. What about you, Shannon? Well, um, you guys did a show without me last week. Yeah, we did. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. I that. <laughs> it was awesome. It was a good show. I appreciate it. I was glad I, I wasn't uh, wasn't there to um, uh, incite any further ire about children in the shop. I think Mark did that well on his own. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> I was in Colonial Williamsburg, and you know my wife and I go there at least once a year. And I gotta say, this was not a good trip. No, why not? It's it's really, pardon me, soapbox time. It's 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 a little <laughs> annoying the direction that they seem to be taking down there. And I don't know what's driving it. There definitely is, is um, on the, on, let's say on paper and face value, it could be very, very exciting because they're putting a lot of emphasis on trades and they've kind of pulled back from some other areas. And, you know, there's a brand new joiner shop. Now the carpenters and the joiners are separate. There's talk of building a saw house where there'll actually be like um, more regular frame raisings and things like that with the carpenters. So Mm -hmm. a lot more kind of, action going on in the woodworking side of things. But for the first time you would see like these people in like cheap suits with name tags, like roaming around the streets and like stopping people and doing surveys. And like you ever go to that restaurant and like you have your waitress or waiter and then there's like the manager guy that comes by to ask how everything's going. And you're like, dude, leave us alone. Yes. That was the experience I was having in Williamsburg. Oh, weird. There's there's it's like marketing has taken over. And I I say marketing like a four letter word, knowing that I am the director (laughs) of marketing for a lumber company. (laughs) It's marketing gone wrong. It's like they've suddenly decided to get very involved in the day-to-day like lives of their visitors. And, ooh, it's just – it left me feeling slimy. Yeah, it's kind of icky. It was really disappointing. And, you know, Heather and I joke because we go there so often. We kind of have like this sense of ownership. Like, it's my Williamsburg. Right. You know, it's, they change that. And you see these new tourists that come by and you look at them with contempt because it's like, it's our first time here, first timers. <laughs> you know, but like some of the – that and the fact that spring break was just starting. So you could see some of the, the um, trades people were a little beleaguered because some like group of screaming kids had just left, but like they have these people sitting out in front of each like shop that are there to greet you. But now they almost like, 
what's the word I'm looking for? They like try to drag you in. Hey, have you been into this shop? Hey, you got to come in and check this out. They're like carnival um, barker style. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) To the point where it's like, you know, we're walking by the Weaver and, you know, we've been to the Weaver before. We weren't planning on going to the Weaver, but they stopped us and like accosted us on the street. You got to come in and see it to the point where you feel guilty by saying, no, I'm not going. We've already seen it. We're moving on. Yeah. And what has become what used to be this very kind of quiet, idyllic, go back in time, experience this and just kind of do it at your own pace has become this like guided, you know, marketing machine. And it, it's really upsetting to see wow. that happen. Um, I've, I've shared a couple of you know DMs on Facebook with some of the um, tradespeople that I know personally. And apparently, I'm not the first person to recognize this. I'm not yeah. the first person to go, hey, what's up with the, uh, the people in cheap suits and name tags? So I don't know. It was, <laughs> it was just upsetting because I hate to see it go that way. You know, part of me recognizes the under, you know, the, you, you've got to kind of, market in some respect you know you've got to engage people and and make sure that people are going in and seeing what they need to see and kind of create that engaged atmosphere to get the the visitors to participate but at the same time i don't know (laughs) you go too far and it really ruins the atmosphere of the entire place well i have to say i'm glad to hear that that's all the problem was because i thought you were going to say that uh, there was like a a churro and turkey leg stand on every corner or something (laughs) But you know what? I wouldn't be surprised at this point. That's coming next, right? Like they, Well, last, the big the big Carpenter project last year was building the market house. And it's this open air marketplace type thing. And it's right kind of smack in the middle of the colonial area. And it is now that it's built, there's actually, there's a shuttle bus that runs around from the visitor center to these various stops around the, the area. Mm-hmm. Now there's an express bus that goes straight from the visitor center to the market house. And when you get off, there's like interpreters like standing there by the bus, like welcoming you and trying to engage you in witty banter, <laughs> which just fails, fails miserably. Think of the South Park episode when they go to the the historical reenactment thing and the guys wouldn't get out of character despite the terrorist attack on the, on yeah. the place. <laughs> That's the feeling that I got when we got off it. So then you go into the marketplace and it's all of the crappy merchandise, you know, and I realize you've got to cater to the kids, you know, so you've got like the little cheap felt tricorn hats and like the wooden muskets and like the pop guns with the cork and everything. It's like, okay, that that's a necessary evil, but it's like, bam, like right in your face. So there might as well be a yield corn dog truck right behind you. Nice. I I mean, it's the point where I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, you go back because again, this was technically off season. So maybe you go back in June or July and there is yield corn dog truck next yeah. to the, you know, the, the churro bandito truck. <laughs> right, right, right. I can see it so, happening. Nothing wrong I, with that. I don't know. It's again, it's probably me just being like protective of my Williamsburg experience, but that's not at all what I want when I go down there. And it well, was I really mean, upsetting. It sounds like you're just used to more of a, you know, casual sort of, you want to be under the illusion that you've gone back in time, you know, for yeah. a period of time. Well, right, and, and that's got to take a reason that we go off season because when the crowds get there, I mean, there's always the blowhard guys that are trying to, well, you know, you could do that faster with a router. And right. Like, okay, dude, you're in the wrong spot right now. But <laughs> I actually, I look forward to it as kind of a research trip because I usually get some good time with, you know, the joiners and the cabinet makers and we actually get to talk. And for instance, since they now have a new Ted Buscana, I mentioned this on the show a couple of weeks ago, has been promoted to master joiner. He's got three apprentices now, brand spanking new, know nothing about woodworking apprentices. So I was really interested to talk to him about how he was teaching them and, you know, what research they'd done on apprenticeship and everything. And you, 
couldn't get a word in edgewise because they were not only were there a lot of people in there, which is fine, but that that like greeter person was like <laughs> trying to move you out as well. Oh, oh, well. We've got a group coming in, so they're kind of like subtly nudging you toward the door so the next group can come in. And I was just like, man, maybe that's what it's like in July, which I'll never go to Williamsburg in July because yeah. it's like 98 degrees and 178% humidity. So I'm just not interested, <laughs> but it was, it was upsetting. Yeah. Uh, that sucks. Yeah. Life goes on though. You'll get over it. I'm yeah. sure. I'm over it. I <laughs> well, purged now. You I'm submitted now. your feedback, you know, so maybe they'll listen. That would be nice. Yeah, maybe. maybe All right. Maybe they listen to Wood Talk. Probably not. Uh, doubt that. They don't have uh, internet connection there. You know, they shouldn't. They've never heard of the internet. Uh, all right, let's move into what's new. Got some stuff to share with you here. Uh, David King on Facebook sent this link to me, and it's something I believe we actually talked about on the show in the past, but I think it's worth repeating because it's a, a pretty good article uh, and video that accompanies it. So the Down to Earth Woodworker uh, made a video on ideal dado depth. So this is, uh, think about making a bookcase and you're putting your shelves into dados on the sides and you want to know how deep to go. It's three quarters of an inch or a little bit less than that for plywood. So how deep does the dado go? Do you go about half? You go like an eighth, you go a quarter. So he did some tests that show, you know, what tends to be, obviously there's different scenarios for failure and things like that and different qualities of plywood that could impact it. Um, but he has some interesting results there. And it seems, uh, just looking very quickly at the graphic here, that the quarter inch depth does the best in most of the tests. Uh, it looks like two out of the three and then three eighths from there. It seems like if you go deeper than three eighths, more than half of the thickness of the plywood, things actually start to get really weak. And it's just might not be something that people know, you know, so it's kind of interesting because a lot of times you make those decisions for dado depths and it's almost feeling arbitrary. Like when the thing is finally done and finished, are you going to notice that you went an eighth of an inch deeper or shallower? Uh, so it's kind of nice to know which ones tend to be the strongest. And then you can kind of do that across the board from now on in your project. So there's a video and an article that accompanies it. And it's over at the uh, Highland Woodworking blog where you could check that out. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Next thing I got here is that the video woodworkers will be in Atlanta at the woodworking show this uh, weekend, the first through the third. There is a bunch of uh, what are we going to call? What do we call these people? Woodworkers, uh, YouTube personality people, YouTubers, YouTubers, the tubers, YouTubers, be, and maybe one or two people who don't call themselves YouTubers. Yes, everyone's worried about the titles, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I think they're just video woodworkers, as the name states. Let's just Fine. call them that. Fine. But I'll be there at the show. Got a got four booths there, so it should be a pretty sweet thing. There was a, four a meetup in at WIA last year. This is the next one here. I will be there as well, so I'll be there Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Atlanta. Wow! Stop what are you say What are you guys doing with all that space? Are you doing demonstrations or something? Heck What's, no, we're just like hanging one, out with people. One is a kissing <laughs> booth. One is a handshake booth. One is a guess which number booth. Guess <laughs> which number? I love it. Guess which hand? <laughs> what was that uh, vacation movie? Anyway, anyways, Vegas good stuff. Vacation. Vegas vacation. There you go. <laughs> well, so yeah, four booths. So you just got some couches and stuff, and you just hang out. And yeah, there's cool. uh, two of the booths have like a table where there'll be like people have like their stickers or t-shirts out where you can buy a stick or you can take, take a sticker, buy a t-shirt, whatever. Meet people, get your thing signed, whatever. There's going to be just a lounge room, so just room lounge booth, I guess. Just chairs that so you can sit and talk if you want to have a seat. And there will be one booth with a big backdrop for taking pictures against. Well, I'll tell you, if there's one thing that the video woodworkers of YouTube are very good at, it's self-promotion. <laughs> and uh, I'm still stuck on the get your thing signed. That sounds good. Get your thing signed. <laughs> yes. Bring your Sharpies, people. Oh. 
Sign my boobs. We, we will have silver Sharpies there because that's how we roll. Nice. Well, it sounds like it's going to be a good time. Take pictures. Let Did us know they say Duresta on the side of the Sharpie? Just curious. <laughs> I'm sure Jimmy will bring some because he will be there. Nice. <laughs> awesome. I uh, love Jimmy Duresta. The man can put his name on everything. Wow. <laughs> well, someone, someone uh, actually, weekend, he will have it everywhere. Someone recently left a comment on my bed build. Uh, yeah, it was the bed build that I did recently and said, um, it's all about Darista. And uh, <laughs> I said, uh, actually, it's about my response was actually it's about a bed, but we could call that bed Darista. But that would be an unusual name for a bed. It's just the most random comment from, I guess, a Darista fan who feels like he oh, needs to, man. like, imprint his name on everything, including my comment section. So uh, that was interesting. <laughs> Whatever works. It's the newest social media tactic. That's what it is. Well, yeah. Send people out to just, you know. Hey. Good for him. That's, that's yeah. Great. Yeah, if you have these disciples out there doing that work for you, heck yeah, that's great. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, the uh, have you guys seen the Samurai Woodworker? Have you seen that website? Yes, yep. that guy's yep. funny. Yeah, he's um he's doing all kinds of cool stuff. But he actually, this was brought to my attention by some Hanchel School members in the community over there, and he built a workbench recently, and he calls it the Samurai Workbench. Go figure. He's got a video up on it. Um. I will say there is a lot of high-speed motion <laughs> in it, which is a little odd. But um, it, it's funny because at first I was like, oh, it's another Continental-style workbench. And I I admit there was immediate, like, call it what it is, prejudice. Like, oh, this is not the Rubo or the Nicholson style. Like, Christopher Schwartz is so, like, brainwashed us all yeah. that you see that <laughs> Continental, traditional German-style workbench. And I immediately thought, well, whatever. This is garbage. But it is a beautiful workbench. And who doesn't like watching building workbenches? But he's also got some really unique things in here. Like the mechanism he uses for attaching a sliding dead man on the bottom. Um, it looks like the dead man is just floating or unattached on the bottom. But there's this cool sliding dovetail um, and groove thingy that rides on the track. Very, very cool. Um, a lot of really intricate joinery. Um, but, you know, nice. like like a lot of these videos, it's not really a, a how-to or anything like that. It's just... Good old fashioned woodwork and porn. It's not a how to, it's a how I do. Mm. Let's call how it you that. do. Hold on, I'm leaving a comment. Hold on. It? It's all about Darista. <laughs> period. Okay. Got it. I got to contribute to the community here. Nice. <laughs> all right. So, next up, we've got uh, Woodworking in America registration open with class uh, listings and speakers apparently have, have been posted. So, you need to register. You got to get in on this because I'm I'm thinking at this point all of us are going to be there. Uh, seems that way so far. So it's yeah. A, and I've got a f- I've got an 8:30 a.m. class on Saturday and Sunday. So yeah. I'll bring the coffee. That's not going to be fun. I will be there. I will be there with bells on. I will wake up early just for you, Shannon. I've already determined that no one's going to be in my class based upon who I'm up against in the same same time slot. Oh wait, who is it? Because now I got to decide if I actually want to go. <laughs> like I, I think I've got like Mary May Roy. Uh, Underhill, uh, Wilbur Pan, Caleb, um, Joseph, uh, every single one of my slots, there's like Freddie Roman in the same slot. It's like, yeah. oh, great. So Matt and I were just talking before the show. I'm going to do the world's first woodworking in America field trip. <laughs> we're just going to gather up and go to another class. Go to another class. That's a good idea. <laughs> we'll go take some pictures of Mary May for, uh, for Matt Vanderlist. For, there we go. <laughs> yeah, he, he likes her. Uh, well, that's cool. So yeah, check it out. Woodworking in America. You go see Shannon there. Talk about some stuff. We'll we'll try to stack his class a little bit. Uh, you know, from all these other big big names, heavy hitters that are there. Uh, but yeah, it should be a really good time. Excited about it. All right. Uh, let's see. Oh, by the way, that's woodworkinginamerica.com, and the dates are posted there as well. It's September sixteenth through eighteenth in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. 
good times. Indeed. All right, so we got a kickback here. This one from Jay. It's a voicemail kickback. Hey, guys. This is uh, Jay down in San Antonio, Texas. I have the same Delta table saw that that uh, caller on episode 300 talked about that he wanted to uh, use a wobble dado stack in, uh, or the dado blade, sorry. Uh, I've never used one of those, but I do have one of the Freud uh, stacks, stack data sets. It works fine in there. No modification needed to the dust collection uh, at the bottom of the, uh, underneath the blade. It works great. Get great cuts out of it. And uh, other than that, you shouldn't even bother with the wobble set. Because they're not that great. So uh, that's about it. Thanks, guys. There you go. Thanks, Jay. Uh, they're just not that great. <laughs> right. All right, Shannon, you got the next one. Well, as an interesting counterpoint to that, um, Luke, who who wrote us, called in, whatever, about the Wobble Dado, he went out and he bought a stack data. So I went ahead and bought a data stack. I made myself a new insert for the saw, set up the stack, started cutting a rabbit. A few seconds into, the board launched across my garage and slammed into the garage door. A quick sh- check of the blade showed my mistake. I had aligned two of the teeth in parallel, and there was a large chip caught at each point where the teeth lined up. Turns out chips don't cut nearly as well as they throw. Lesson learned. Whoa. So, yeah, uh, Jay thinks that their, uh, the wobble data is no good and the stack data is better. So Luke bought a stack data and then had kickback. Yikes. So, there we go. That's interesting. I wouldn't have expected that to happen. So he's got the two, two chipper teeth lined up right next to each other, and that caused the problem? Yeah. Well, I mean, they always very clear when... They, when any manufacturer makes them. I had a Freud data stack and they're very clear to say, make sure you stagger Stagger, the chipper teeth. Or if I were doing like a quarter inch data, then I just use the two outer blades instead of the the interior chippers. Mm -hmm. And they always say, make sure you stagger them. I never really thought about why. Um, Yeah, I always thought it would just be a cut quality issue, not necessarily. blindly follow the instructions. (laughs) Yeah. But it makes sense because I guess, you know, you could get a little bit stuck in between those teeth. Yeah. Wow, it's also a pretty massive amount. Like if you think about it, if you have them lined up, you're you're asking the the wood, you're going to take away that much wood like all at once. Mm-hmm. Sure. Which could cause some serious chipping. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. All right, well good to know. Appreciate that. Uh who was it? Who was it? Luke? Yeah, thanks Luke. Luke. Very cool. Uh, all right, let's get into today's featured uh into today's featured topic uh about clamps or clamp storage, really. Uh this one comes in from Alex. He says, "I've seen wall clamps shown in the background on a lot of YouTubers' channels, uh but when I look back to the man himself, Norm has built a rolling clamp rack. I've easily over 100 clamps and sometimes find myself annoyed with my trip back and forth to the clamps on the wall to wherever my glue up is in the shop, only to schlep them right back to the wall after the glue is dried." I'm thinking of making a small 18 by 24 inch footprint rolling rack just to carry a lot of my jet bar clamps and older uh, pipe clamps that are just too darn heavy and keep the rest of the smaller 6 inch to 12 inch clamps stuck to the wall. What do you guys think? Love the show. Thanks, Alex. Uh, Okay, rolling clamp rack versus wall. Now, I've got mine on a wall uh, because I have the space. I think that's the thing. If you don't have a lot of space, you have even more justification for a rolling rack because then you're just have something that's mobile that you can move around to where you need it. And you're not taking up precious wall space. Uh, and if I were in that situation where I didn't have wall space, I would do that. And I'm also, I've considered a rolling rack because of the same thing. It's nice to just have it right next to you where you need it. Uh, and you can move it around because you don't always assemble in the exact same place. Like sometimes I'm at my workbench, sometimes I'm on the floor. Uh, sometimes I'm in the middle of the shop at the assembly table. So I think there's a great justification for a rolling clamp rack, uh, even in my situation. So I'm curious what, what you guys do and 
is it what you think you should do or you just haven't gotten around to the ultimate setup? You know, it's interesting because I actually view this exactly the opposite from what you just said. Hmm. I feel like I've got mine on the wall because I don't have enough space. Um, you know, I can always just put them up against the wall. I always manage to find some wall space. But having a rolling clamp, clamp wrap, there's an actual footprint there. So, yeah, that's yeah, got to be moved around. You that know? makes sense. Yeah. I mean, there's no way that I have space in my shop for any additional footprint. <laughs> Um, you know, so, you know, that and the fact that rolling it around, there's only so much space I can roll it to. So I'd be, feel like I'd be constantly rolling it out of the way more than anything else. So, I mean, I think it's a, uh, reflective, a little bit of the size of your shop. You know, he talks about schlepping the clamps back and forth. Well, it's two steps in my case. Right. That's so, so far. It makes sense to have them kind of over there because otherwise then like the location of the clamps would constantly be changing. And then I'd be irritated with, well, where do they leave the clamps? Yeah. And I'm going to the wrong end of the shop, and then I got to walk six steps to the other end of the shop, and that's just too much. That's um, a good point. That's a good point. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I understand the 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 idea here, but I'm when I'm doing a glue up, I've always done like the dry run, dry fit with all the clamps and everything, so that when I go to do the glue up, all of my clamps that I need are right there, like usually staged in position, especially mm-hmm. the parallel clamps or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of, you know, painting on glue and then bam, the clamps are ready to go. Yeah. Um, so th- there's not really any, like in the heat of the moment, you know, when you're trying to get there before the glue tacks up, that's never been an issue because I've already staged and had the clamps out. So where I've stored them hasn't really made a difference. Yeah, that makes sense. What about you, Matt? I'm kind of with Shannon on this one. Like uh, if you have a big shop and you have like all this floor space and there's like, if I had a rolling cart with that intention, I would have to move crap out of the way to roll it around. You know, <laughs> or probably, you'd probably have to take stuff off the clamp wrap just to put the clamp racks back because you'd have hey. stuff, like, draped over it. And, <laughs> That's true, yeah. too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I don't have much, like, aisle room or floor space or anything like that. So all my clamps are on the wall, or rather all of the, I guess, my assembly clamps are on the wall. So I have my assembly tables where I do all my, my actual glue-ups, my bigger glue-ups, my whole, like, case glue-ups, whatever. And that's right there by my clamp wall, I guess, the clamp rack on the wall. So all I have to do is like, it's like a pivot, pivot and grab, pivot and grab kind of thing. Yeah. And they're right there where I need them. And then for like holding stuff like on the bench or smaller things, I have like my F-style clamps I use for that. I have a couple underneath my workbench and then I have a few hanging on the um, the lifting rods on my planer, which is right there by, by my workbench as well. So I have like a little mini clamp rack there by the workbench, which is between the assembly table anyway, so it's kind of like they're all around the assembly table. That's a good idea. Them. So Those lifting so rods cool. are just down there in the way. I should hang some stuff there. Yeah, like, when I, I showed that on my channel at one point, and everyone's like, oh, you're going to catch your leg on there. I'm like, well, if I caught my leg on there, I'd be catching my hip on the table anyway, so, you know, yeah. it's like I don't walk into things as much as most people do, I guess. <laughs> Well, I always sticker any wood if I've resawed it or if I've run it through the planer and I have to sticker it and let it rest for a little bit. I always sticker it on the top rollers on my planer, yeah, you know, the, yeah. the return rollers or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times I'll either band it or weight it or clamp the boards together just to keep them from getting too wonky and, and warping. That's kind of a cool idea. Put some clamps down there. Yeah, they're not doing anything anyway, so why not? Smart. <laughs> That's a good idea. Well, it's interesting. So I guess it, it, it's a question of whether you value your, your floor space more than your wall space. And I guess depending on the size of your shop, the number of tools you have, how much room you have to work with, you may value one over the other. Um, but I think there's a justifiable argument either way, but it's going to be personal personal preference, really. Well, good stuff. 
All right. Um, you know, we have to go to a Harry's commercial here, and uh, that leads me to ask Shannon a question. How's her face? <laughs> it's uh, it's smooth and silky. Actually, it's not. I didn't shave today. Oh, I took the day off. So. But should, I did yesterday. You know what would be really good, I think, is if you actually shave live on the show. <laughs> oh, okay. So we can actually just hear each stroke shaving nice and clean. That'd be great, right? Hand plane or razor? What do you think? Let's mm, play a game. Let's see. Uh, I think we should go for the razor. For for no specific reason. But I should let you guys know that Harry's is the only shaving company that has both amazing quality and low prices. They feature German-engineered five-blade cartridges that produce a close, comfortable shave, no cuts or burns. Quality is guaranteed, and they'll give you a full refund if you're not happy. They cut out the middleman, so you get to take advantage of the factory direct prices, about half the price of the competition, and everything is shipped right to your door. Over 1 million guys have already made the switch, and thousands more switch every day. Why pay 32 bucks for an 8-pack of blades when you can get them for half the price at harrys.com? The Harry Starter Set is an amazing deal. For just $15, you get the razor, the moisturizing shave cream, and three razor blades. Now, Harry's doesn't like to discount because the prices are already really low, but we've worked out a special offer for you guys. Harry's will give you $5 off your first order with promo code WOODTALK. Stop overpaying for a great shave. Go to harrys.com right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Enter that code WOODTALK at checkout and you will save a few bucks. It's a good deal. Good razors, nice little kit that you can get, and you could sign up and get like a subscription going, which is great if you shave all the time. Uh, you know, nothing easier than this stuff just showing up on your front door. So definitely check that out at harrys.com. Thank you, Harrys, for sponsoring the show. We appreciate it. Yeah, what he said. Yeah. All right, let's move into <laughs> our voicemail. This one's actually for uh, our buddy Cremona. I think it's for you. Yeah, hi. Good morning, guys. This is uh, Ralph from Montville. I've uh, been listening to you since episode 275. And my way backwards uh, from episode zero, so I'm up to 50. My question is for Cremona. So I'm interested in getting into the uh, whole chainsaw milling process. And what kind of uh, what kind of DC engine should I be looking at? I've been looking at like the MS 60, uh, 660, the MS 880, the 071. They got like uh, one anywhere from like a 90 to 100 cc. I have some. I have a 50 cc uh, Husqvarna. I think that's too small to kind of do any milling. Uh, so just uh, any, any thoughts around that? It looks like secondhand. You can get them for eight hundred to a thousand bucks for the for the head. Um, oh, and then one other question: When drying the lumber, so I have a uh, my grandfather has a basement. Can I just throw slabs in his basement, or am I going to turn it into a swamp? What I need to sort of dehumidify. And um, most, I, I was hoping to cut down most of the stuff that's lying around after uh, like Superstorm Sandy and stuff like that, but. I, you know, after learning that uh, the wood checks from, um, uh, what do you call it, you know, any lumber that's not green, I'm having uh, having second thoughts about that. But anyway, interested in hearing your comments, and uh, keep up the good work. Bye. That's all for you, Matt. All right. <laughs> so with uh, chainsaw milling, the bigger the engine you can get, the, the easier it's going to be, the faster you can cut. Um, you can cut with your 50cc saw. It's going to take you a long time and I wouldn't really recommend it unless you're really bored and you have nothing better to do or you really don't have you can't get a different saw anyway um, but the 880 is a fantastic saw for it if you can get the 660 that's good too um, 660 is like 90 something cc's and the 880 is 120 I think somewhere in there so either of those two saws have been really good for, for milling um, yeah get as big as you can get and you won't be disappointed with that um, what about for chainsaw juggling 
juggling <laughs> big engine, small engine. Small. What Got to go. Depends small. how big your arms are. I, I would say. Okay. Because uh, unless you have giant arms, I think it'd be pretty hard to throw like a thirty-pound saw in the air, like three of them in the air. Yeah, it looks easy. <laughs> I'm gonna go try it first. Especially I'm running, one. right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh boy. Cool. And what about his wood storage question? So I dry a lot of wood in my basement. It's uh, it depends on your basement and the home you're in. But my basement's already fairly dry, especially in the winter time. It's like bone dry down here. I'm in the basement right now. Um, I have a dehumidifier in the basement as well for like the summertime months. I just I would have it in there anyway, but it's a great place to dry lumber because it's like you get the advantage of um, both kiln and air drying that way because you get the the gradual, slower, more gentler drying process of air drying, but you also get the advantage of um, the low moisture content of kiln drying because what you're really trying to do when you're kiln drying is get wood down like to what like inside the house is going to be like. Well, if you dry your lumber inside your house, it's going to be acclimated to your house anyway. So it's kind of serving the same purpose. Wow. That's deep. That's yeah, like that? Very deep. Good <sighs> stuff. <laughs> and as far as cutting up your old uh, logs and stuff, I mean, it's, sometimes it's pretty obvious if it's, if it's too far gone. But if it's off the ground and it's – when was Sandy? Like five years ago? Something Maybe. like that. You might yeah. still be okay. I think you, you might be still be okay. So, well, cool. the other thing to think about is Hurricane Sandy happened, you know, in the summer months or in the hurricane season. So anytime you fell trees in the summer while the sap is rising, there could be a lot more rot, a lot more bugs. Mm. It could be. But, I mean, that's, again, once you cut into it, like if you cut it to length, you can really tell what condition the log is in just by that end grain cut most of the time. You cool. can see if it's got any checking that's going through it or if there's any rot or if bugs come flying out, you know. <laughs> it's a bad sign. You might have some problems. <laughs> yeah. Don't use that one. Well, very cool. All right. Well, let's get into our emails. Uh, first one I got here is from R.A. Dollar. It's an interesting name, R.A. Dollar. Uh, he says, Mark, now that you've had a chance to use the new dining gaming table, uh, which, by the way, is something I built uh, in, in the guild uh, a couple months ago, uh, for a few months now, is there anything that you would change about the design? Specifically, I was wondering if the removable top surface panels make excessive noise movement when putting serving uh, dishes and plates down. Um, so a little bit of a self-serving question here, but I thought it was good because a design of something like a gaming table is really, there's just a lot of ways you can go. And that was one of our biggest problems was narrowing it down to a set of choices that hopefully would appeal to the most people and then give them the tools they need to, to modify it to their liking. So all the decisions we made, we didn't really go out on a limb on too many things. We were fairly safe about the decisions. So that top is totally secure. Um, the boards are nice and flat. They're very heavy. So those top pieces, the only way they would really do that if you put like a heavy plate down and you hear something is if there were a wobble, if they weren't flat or heavy enough to just kind of sit nice and flat uh, on the rabbits. But in nothing, I mean, you honestly uh, can't tell that it's hollow underneath there, I guess, unless you, you bang something on it, you could hear that it sounds hollow because there's nothing beneath it. But the uh, the sandwich of the shops on veneer with the plywood and everything just being nice and flat, I'm very, very happy with the way that those sit in that space. Um, as far as changes that I would make, you know, there are things that could potentially improve it, but they're this, you would confront the same challenges I confronted when I considered those options during the build. Uh, those two things include deeper storage. So underneath the top, there's space to play as well as store stuff. But, you know, games come in different thickness boxes. Uh, and also the accessories that we built have certain dimension. So what I would love is a means to store those accessories in those thicker boxes in that cavity. 
The problem is you can only go so deep because the deeper you go, the more you're infringing upon or impinging, infringing, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, It gets in the way of your knees. So you need a certain space between the top of your legs and the apron. So if you keep going deeper and deeper, there's a point where it becomes really problematic. You either have to go taller with the table to give you more space to go deeper. Uh, but like the, again, you can only go so tall with the dining room table. So you have to work within the confines that make this thing work properly as a dining room table. And that's why we decided on the depth as a compromise, uh, the depth that we have. So there's really nothing I could do to improve that. Um, also a means of storing the top pieces under the table. Okay, because every time you take those off, you've got to put them somewhere. So we also thought about that. But once again, you start to put those under the table and now you're eating up space that's supposed to be there for your knees. Um, So ultimately, the things that I would change, I still don't have a great solution for how I would change them. Um, So ultimately, very happy with the design. I think it does exactly what we wanted it to. Quite honestly, at this point, we just haven't used it very much. We've just been eating on it. Um, I will say that we've had plenty of uh, crumbs and spills. And thankfully, the things that we did to prevent those from becoming major problems work. So if there's a little bit of a spill, it kind of gets caught in the rabbits. You just wipe it up, get a damp rag, clean it up, let it dry, put everything back. Um, little crumbs, uh, the, the the gaps are not big enough that they really fall down. So if it's a, you can kind of just wipe them up most of the time. Uh, and if there's an excessive amount of crumbs, like someone eating goldfish right on the edge for like 20 minutes, um, you could just get a little vacuum cleaner with a brush attachment and suck them right up and it's done. So ultimately very happy with the design. I wouldn't really change a whole lot, but I'm always interested to hear if other people can address those problems and in a way that makes sense for the table. I'm always open to suggestions about that. So that's it. I think what you need is to um, get some good board games and break it in some more. We do. We do. We got to, we got to find time for that. Uh, it's, it's tricky. Like the kids are just still, you know, even Mateo is still a little bit young and, you know, a lot of times we'll assemble Legos using that like Lego kits, uh, which works out really nice because it's all contained and I only have to lift up one of the leaves to, to get that done. Um, but yeah, I think as we, as the family gets a little bit older and we actually can start playing these board games and stuff together, I think that's when we'll really get a lot of use out of it. Well, I highly recommend the Ghostbusters board game. Really? It's very good. I'll check it out. I love the Ghostbusters. Yeah, it's a good game. Cool. <laughs> Just had to throw that in there. No, I appreciate it. Oh. <laughs> All right, you're up, Matt. Did you fall asleep over there? You guys done? You good? We're done. No, I'm asleep, and I listen to your, your hilarious banter. Our banter. It's quite, uh, quite it's entertaining. Not, definitely not that good, but go ahead. Well, I, I'm just staring <laughs> at my screen, look at the show notes. It's pretty good. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so this one is from Brian. He says he's thinking about ditching his miter saw and hoping for a second opinion before he finalizes the decision. It says he has a DeWalt 10-inch double compound miter saw. It does what it's designed to do. The only problem is it's hard to justify giving it the space in my tiny shop, so it spends a lot of time on the floor acting as an expensive toast stubber. I recently purchased a Grizzly G0715P table saw, and for everything I did with my miter saw, I can do it easily with my table saw and a sled or miter gauge. As I improve with my table saw, my miter saw feels like a one-trick pony and is a pretty heavy pony at that. The only problem I can foresee is when I need to cut long molding that won't fit in my shop, but I feel like it's a one-time problem that can solve with my handsaw. Should I keep the miter saw or should I donate it to an unsupervised neighborhood child? Yeah, do that. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> uh, so this is actually this is kind of interesting because I kind of went through the same kind of phase, I guess, in my life. So when I first started, I didn't have a table saw, but I had a miter saw. So I did like all of my 
cross cutting and everything on the on the miter saw. And like as I got into more table saw work, I built a table saw sled. And after I built that sled, I swear I like never used my miter saw for anything. <laughs> it just sat on the floor and just took up space. And in the last year, last year I used it twice in my shop. But what I like having it for is like taking it out of my shop and doing stuff around the house. That's where it really comes in super handy for doing trim work or, you know, whatever. But now I'm at this point where I'm like, well, it'd be kind of nice. I have some I have some floor space. And I'd like to have like an actual miter saw table stand, whatever for it. Just really for cutting longer stock. Um, the way I have my shop laid out with my table saw and my sled, I have about a little over four feet of clearance um, from the blade to like my drum sander. So that's like the longest thing I can cross cut on my sled. So it'd be more convenient for me to be able to have a miter saw set up so I can cut longer stuff than having to move my shop around to cut longer stuff with my table saw. Um, the other thing that the miter saw is nice for, I have a 12-inch um, sliding miter saw so it can cut deeper or thicker stuff than my table saw can. So if I want to cut like a 4x4 four four or you know whatever, something big like that, I can do that on the miter saw. So this is probably going to be a pretty personal choice, but if you've really gotten this far along without it, and you really don't need the space, maybe just like tuck it away somewhere, maybe like in your attic or somewhere where you don't need to get to it as easily. So like I have a lot of tools in my shop where they're just like stored in case I need them someday, but I've never used them. I haven't used them in years, but I have them just in case someday I need them. Mm-hmm. So like my scroll saw, I haven't used that in like, I don't know how many years, but I still have it. It's not the most convenient thing to take out because I never use it, you know, but it has less priority in my shop as far as shop space goes. So that's kind of, where I'm at with my miter saw, at least. That's kind of a good Hope point. That I went through that when I remodeled my shop. I realized, you know, there's no reason for this, whatever it is, to live in the shop because mm-hmm. right. you know, I yeah. only use it like once a year or less than that. So I just, I ended up kind of putting stuff in quote storage under my, uh, <clears throat> under my staircase. I've got that little like crawl space thing under the staircase. So, you yeah. know, it's interesting. This exact thing, I've kind of gone the other way with this. Uh, I've used the sled for years, ever since seeing uh, David Marks use one on Woodworks and loved it. But uh, over time, I don't know whether it's my sled just became unreliable and I didn't like fix it up. So I started using my miter saw a little bit more. And the more I used it, the more I liked it. And if I could get it set up for precision cuts, get a better blade on there, get stops on there, I find that I actually use the miter saw way more now for cross cuts. And I don't depend on my sled quite as much. And I guess that's what it comes down to. I started to lose a little bit of faith in my sled's ability to cut nice and square, plus a little bit of laziness. It's so, it's actually a lot <laughs> faster, right, to throw it up on the miter saw if you can count on it being square. Um, yeah. Throw that sucker up on the miter saw, boom, cut, and you're done. And if you can have a stop, now you've got the repeatability that that usually you know that is really handy to have. Uh, I also find that the, the the sled on the table saw is limiting. You have to do other things to it to accommodate longer boards. You know, so in a lot of parts, we'll go in that three foot to four foot range where you need some repeatability. And I just find the miter saw is the optimal place to to make that cut. So I find it interesting as people you know, go through their paths, how they, they sort of like this guy is saying, he, he just uses, he sees no reason to have it anymore. And now at least the way I'm woodworking, I'd be lost without it. <laughs> like I'd have to go back to the, the table saw and figure out how am I going to use my sled to do this now? Um, so it's just interesting to see how different people end up, end up in different places with the same tools. Yeah, I mean, I think Matt's point about the thicker stuff is really key. You know, you yeah. may never work with any more than four quarter stock, but you know, if you've got a four by four post, that thing's a beauty for it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just ironic because I went, I had like the, 
full-on miter station. If you go way, way back into my archives, you'll see I had the full Craig like fence system with the sliding flip stop and everything. But the true irony was is I had like the world's worst craftsman miter saw that was so unbelievably inaccurate. (laughs) Couldn't cut plumb, couldn't (laughs) cut square to save my life. But I had this great fence system, you know, with like eight feet of space on one side and four feet on the other. Oh, it was awesome. I had dust collection and everything and a crappy saw. So, yeah, <laughs> there, was, there was really and and that shaped my perspective of the miter saw, like how that saw performed. Yeah. So for me, it was like, yeah, hey neighbor, you want a miter saw? Yeah, sure, buddy. So <laughs> there was no problem getting rid of it. But uh, you know, obviously, if I had a different saw, I might have changed my tune a little. Uh, make a big difference. Yeah, sir. Okay, this is a question from Alex. Is that the same Alex that had the feature topic? I don't know. Maybe. Double don't want him to feel too special. (laughs) Uh, Alex says, you guys discussed how the round bottom spoke shape can be hard to master in the past. And I think you recommended the low angle Veritas spoke shape. For a previous project, I purchased the round bottom as my first and only spoke shape and actually became pretty good at it. I wouldn't say I mastered it, but now I know how to tilt the angle and engage it. So now my question is, if I can properly use the round bottom shape, is there a reason to buy the flat bottom one? Um, if you have to ask if there's a reason to buy another tool, you might want to rethink whether or not you're a woodworker. That's, <laughs> that's the first question. Um, I, I mean, I, I understand his point. Um, if you if you're if you can feel that angle and you can work with that angle, okay, you're probably all right. But you're going to find that, especially if you're using outside curves, convex curves the round bottom shave is just going to be a lot more difficult because now you're, you're kind of the space with which you're kind of balancing that shave on is so narrow that working around those outer curves. Now you're dealing with like a, a pinpoint to a pinpoint, you know, and yeah. you're just not going to get the fared curves that you would with a flat bottom shave that is going to hug that outer shape a lot more. Moreover, you may have trouble um, in a little bit more difficult or harder woods with getting a clean surface because you've got such a small bit of the sole that's actually in contact with the wood. And you might get a little bit more tear out. You might get a little bit more chatter. So um, in the end, for the same reason that you use a longer hand plane to get a flatter surface, you'll have a more consistent curve with more of the sole of the spokeshave in contact with the wood. So going with a flat bottom shave here is going to make more sense on the long run. So, um, you know, Hey, if you're happy with it right now, until you have a pressing need for, you know, another spoke shave, uh, I think you're okay. But I think that you'll get a little frustrated with just the round bottom one over time. Mm. Very good. Uh, Hey, I, this is kind of an aside. I don't have to put this in the show notes so we can uh, get this in there properly. But remember last week when we read the iTunes review, I think it was Richard who read this, he had this beautiful sonnet that he wrote. It was fantastic. I loved that. Okay. So years ago, a gentleman named Alan had made up not just the uh, some poems, but also a little bit of Photoshop work. Uh, that Beautiful was, Photoshop work. Yeah, that was kind of hilarious. And this was years ago, so it doesn't involve Cremona, but um, we've got old, you know, old Matt V in there. Um, so <laughs> what I'm going to do is, because I want to give him proper credit, you know, the, he actually put a lot of effort into this stuff. Uh, we'll post these on the, it's too long to read, uh, very, very long. But we'll post the, the the things. They're just JPEG images that you can read the poem and see the, the funny Photoshop work that he did. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes and then uh, Alan can get his, his credit because he says, poetry, damn it, <laughs> and sent, us, sent them to us again. <laughs> I, I actually think we need to take those images and put them in our media kit. 
We might want they're, to. They're really well done. They're nicely branded, too. Especially so. the one with you with the ponytail. Oh well, actually, God, you don't yeah. have a ponytail. You're, it's slicked back, but you clearly have long hair. Uh, you're yeah. sitting with your legs crossed like you're about to uh, start got meditating. got like a David Carradine and Kung Fu looking thing going yeah, on there. Yeah, it's fantastic. Really good stuff. Um, yeah, so we'll post that for you. And if you want to support the show, you can. Just head to woodtalkshow.com. Look over in the side column for the donation links. Uh, you can also get a Wood Talk t-shirt at twwstore.com. And like we mentioned Richard's sonnet before, you could uh, check us out in the iTunes store and leave us a review. And you always have a chance of having that review read on the show. And Shannon, why don't you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. All right. If you have comments, questions, poetry submissions, or other topic (laughs) suggestions, you have several ways to contact us. You can leave a voicemail on Skype. We prefer any custom songs to be left there as well. (laughs) So if you've written a song about us or just want to sing, you know, kind of a a madrigal to Woodtalk, you can leave that on Skype. Um, Our uh, username is Woodtalk Online, or the voicemail is 623-242-5180. Or you can use our fancy contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact and leave us a comment on our Woodtalk Facebook page. Finally, if you're looking for the show notes or to see these beautiful poems that Alan put together, you can find them in the today's show notes at woodtalkshow.com. Awesome. And there's those other sites that we do stuff on too. Yes. Woodwhisper.com, renaissancewoodworker.com, and matcremona.com. Sounds wonderful. Uh, Hey, by the way, next week, no, at the end of this week, uh, April 1st, is our anniversary of Wood Talk. Mm -hmm. It'll be nine years, and we actually do have a bonus show, a short show coming out for you. Um, Not a replacement for the regular show, but it's just an extra show. It could all be be about Duresta. It could be. It (laughs) should be. (laughs) Frankly, frankly, it should be. Uh, But yeah, so look forward to that. It'll be a Friday release, and we'll go back to our normal schedule on Monday. So we hope you enjoy it. (laughs) Yeah, good stuff. All right, well, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. See ya. Go to Resta.